Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Sparks. And on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their stories so we can all learn from their experiences and get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I'm here with a friend of mine, Josh Swart. Josh What's runs up? a company called Straight Path Real Estate Solutions. Good to see you, man. Um, what I what I appreciate, Josh, uh, about Josh the most is um, that he he knows his values. He's a family man. He's a man of faith. He knows what he wants in life, and he's building his businesses around that. I'm excited to hear him share how he's using real estate to get closer to what he wants. Um, he's got such a cool story and, and background. I'm going to get him to kind of you know share a little bit more about this. But he you know he's a janitor turned real estate investor in under three years. Um, another interesting fact is he was the third fittest man in India in 2016. Um, if you see this right. guy in person, he is jacked. It's funny. Uh, I'll have to tell this at some point, but uh, we'll talk more. But my wife, the first time I was, you know, with you at Collective Genius, I was taking pictures of stuff that's going on. She was like, "Is that Kenny Powers there that you're with?" <laughs> so Josh has some amazing <laughs> flow back there on top of that as well. But he is a he's a pretty impressive uh, real estate investor too. At, out of the Charlotte, North Carolina market, they do 60 deals annually. He's doing new construction and mobile home parks. I think he looks at business the same way I do which is how do we do this with the least amount of risk, least amount of effort? And, you know, I, I'm just impressed by the way that he's built his business. So welcome in, Josh. It's great to have you. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. So we always start this show off with a six-word update. So what is your six-word update today? So my six-word update is one relationship is all it takes. I love that. You know, I'm a relationship. I built my business on relationship, rewired it around relationships, and I, I couldn't agree more. To so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a real mainstream view of business and like entrepreneurship, where it's just like grind and hustle and like put your head down and work. And while that does have a good place in business, what I found is the importance of relationships in business and how it impacts the growth, uh, confidence, the resources and stuff that I've been able to have at my disposal. And I can look back over the last couple of years in my business and there are really key relationships that I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at today if it wasn't for, you know, a good attorney or a good lender or employees or whoever it is, right? So you're not going to get very far in business without surrounding yourself with key players and relying on their talents as well. Yeah. And I, that hustle and grind mentality, it, it sort of insinuates like, you know, carrying all the weight yourself. Um, right. There's so much power and leverage in relationships. And that may sound, some people may take that as like, um, you know, the wrong way, but mutually beneficial relationships, right. Is what we're yeah. describing here and how to add Absolutely. value to people. There's the, the one show, uh, I can't remember what the name is, but the guy, Marcus Lemonis, he's a, business guy that comes in and fixes business. And he's got a three-part thing that's, uh, that he kind of premises everything with. And it's people, process, product. And the people that are in the business, and that's the most important part of, of the whole operation, right? And then the, you know, getting detailed on the process and then the products last, right? Yeah. So the, the power of human capital and the ability to work with other people who are better at certain things than I am, has been the greatest source of, of success that I've, I've experienced. Mm. Well, tell us a little bit more about you and your background and how you got from, you know, being a janitor and fittest man in India to now running this, you know, successful uh, business out of Charlotte. Yeah. 
Um, my career started uh, out of high school. I, all I wanted to do was be a firefighter. And, uh, and fortunately, I was able to have a short career in the fire service for three years. And for my whole life, I had that wrapped up in my identity as like, that's what I wanted to do, right? And it wasn't until that I was in that uh, workspace that I realized I was working constantly, 24-hour shifts, I'd come home and be doing construction the next day. And it wasn't until we had some time away that I was able to pick my head up and see like, man, I don't, I don't really want to be just working day in and day out. And that's when we were presented with an opportunity to go overseas. So my wife, Christy, and I, we moved to India for two years, started a business there. And uh, I may touch on that a little bit later. But um, yeah, that was the opportunity for me to step away and start reading books. And I'd been in the construction space. And it wasn't until I started reading and, you know, reading that port ad, listening to podcasts and all that stuff, that I realized that I was on the wrong side of the of the equation. So mm -hmm. um yeah, came back to the States in 2017 and uh, did everything I could to get a job. And the only thing I could do was be a janitor at a gym and did that for a year before things started to take off and uh, real estate started to become my primary source of income. So, And what were you doing first in real estate? So I started off doing fix and flips and buying rentals. And shortly after that, uh, realized that I wasn't a huge fan of all of these renovating all these old mill homes around here and started to get into new construction. So yeah. the, the, uh, short stint that I have, uh, doing flips, I mean, we still do them occasionally, but, uh, ultimately was kind of a stepping stone to get into development and new construction. Yeah. I think that's, that's what it is for a lot of people. Like, I think, a lot of people want to get into new construction. They want to do big projects, but they just don't quite know how to do it. And I'm going to circle back to, you know, your six word update, which is like one relationship is all it takes, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah. how, how did your relationships contribute to you making that jump from flipping into, you know, developing? Yeah. There was a guy who was at my gym who is a good friend of mine. He's been a mentor of mine in real estate for a couple of years now. And I was telling him about this property that I was buying. It was maybe my second rental that I ever bought. And they came on a large lot and I said, Hey, I think this is big. We might be able to split this lot. Would you be interested in buying it? And he said, sure. So he bought the lot from me. He kind of walked me through that process of doing the survey and everything. And then I saw how quickly he turned that property around. And the next opportunity that I had where I had a large lot that I could split I could split it three ways. And I approached him. And I said, Hey, I will sell you this one for a great price. But on this other one, I want you to walk me through the process and show me what it takes to take a house from dirt to, you know, finished product. And he was gracious enough to do that, but it wasn't without sacrifice. Right. You know, I cut him a deal on the, on the land and, you know, missed out on the profit from that house, but I got what I couldn't get by doing it myself, I got the knowledge, the understanding and the ability to do that with confidence. So that was in 2019. We went through that whole process. And ever since then, it's been gangbusters trying to do as much as we can. Yeah. It's so under like appreciated that 
process of being willing. I, I sort of describe this and you tell me what you think about this. It's like when you're building new relationships and you know, you're here and you want to get here, let's say, right. And you've got these people could easily pull you up if they wanted yeah. to, if you gave them, a, if, yeah. if they had a reason to do it, they can easily pull you up. And you know, what's, what I found is if you let, if you let other people eat first, right? Mm-hmm. Like they will pull you up. They will make yeah. it their business to bring you into your business. Of course, you've yeah. got to be willing to, yeah, but you know, then you fight this. Yeah, but I'm giving up way too much on this deal. Yeah, but I could make more money if I did this. It's like, you're not understanding the power of the relationship cap. Right. Right. And it's a really, I mean, you have to be thinking in the long run, right? Exactly. In the short term, hey, I'm missing out on a you know massive amount of profit from this house. But what is this going to look like for me three years, five years down the road when I have basically somebody holding me and walking me through this process, right? So yeah. there's a real like reciprocation of, of value that you have to bring to somebody who's in that position, right? The, the, the easiest analogy to correlate that to is the people who send you messages or DMs or text or call or whatever. They say, hey, can I just pick your brain, take you to coffee? And it's like... Yeah, I, I have I have a lot that's on my plate, right? And for me to take an hour and a half to two hours out of my day to just let you ask me a bunch of questions, right? Like I don't I'm not getting a whole lot of value out of that, right? But if you say, Hey, I've got these these deals, can you underwrite them with me? Or can I bring you a deal, right? If somebody's bringing value to the table, I'm so much more willing to to work with them, right? So it's the, it's the, on one side, it's the selfish mentality and the other side, it's the providing more value than what you take and pay. So, Mm. you know, I, I just call it the difference between transactional relationships and well, transactions versus relationships. You know, Um, when you build a transaction business, it's, it's easy to miss the value of long-term relationships because Mm. you're so in the like, yeah, but I need a deal to close this month. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it, so, you know, it's hard to do both really well consistently. Um, and, and making that big jump into relationships is more of a longer term play. You've got to have runway to be able to do that. Right. Cause I think that it comes back to like relationships are built on trust. Trust takes time to build. You don't just yeah. like, you know, get that trust. And now all of a sudden you're, you're doing development. It's like, this was a process of, you had to go through one deal that doesn't take, you know, one to two months, like it does in flipping or wholesaling. It takes yeah. six months to a year. Got yeah. to be willing to wait for that. And then you got to start right. the next project. So like your minimum two years, probably out from the day you decide to start building a relationship based business to when yeah. that profit actually hits your bank account. Right. Yeah. There's definitely a longer cash conversion cycle in this side of the industry. You know, it's not like wholesaling or uh, wholesale, right? And we do all of that stuff as well. It's just, it's, you're more committed, right? And uh, yeah, those relationships take, re- relationships takes time to build and that trust to be built. So, you know, and it's an upside play. I want to come back to that when we get on the barbell discussion, because like yeah. most of us can't wait two years to see money hit. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, okay, how do you do both of these things? How do you have you you need transactions, you need cash flow, something closing to keep the lights on, to pay for your life, yeah. things like this. Um, but we'll come back to that. I really want to know more about how 
you know, we talk about this concept of the solvable problem and, and the idea of getting closer to what we want without chasing more and more and more. And entrepreneurship is plagued with this, the hustle and grind mentality, you know, more deals, more offers, more leads, hire more salespeople, mm-hmm. scale, scale, scale. Um, I, I have no problem with building big businesses. What I do have a problem with is not having clarity on why you're doing it. You know, there's yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your solvable problem, how you think about your businesses and how they contribute to, you know, getting you closer to what actually matters in life. Yeah. So I, I, I have like a two part uh, response to this. And if I can give a little bit more background, I'll touch back on our stint, the two years that we spent in India. Um, my wife and I, we moved there in two, 2015 uh, to start a business, in, which was a CrossFit gym. And the government there is like radically opposed to Christians and Christian organizations. And so much so that they come in and they revoke the FCRA, which is your the equivalent of like a 501c3, your ability to receive foreign donations. And there's a huge need for local businesses that support local ministries or children's homes or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And uh, our goal in doing that, moving there was to start a business that would help fund a children's home that was local to have, have the stability and the reliance of knowing like, Hey, we've got this local business that's funding everything. We don't have to be so reliant on foreign donations. And when I look back at that whole process of, you know, moving there, starting a business, starting a community, and then handing it off to somebody else and then doing some consulting and all that stuff after that, I experienced a level of, of satisfaction and gratification that I don't think I've experienced in anything else. So that's what got me hooked. And I say, Hey, how can I replicate this in other areas, whether it be in my local market or around the world? And that's where I realized like, Hey, if I want to do some like microfinancing for small businesses like this, I need like a significant source of capital, a significant source of income, which, you know, the real estate, passive income, rental properties and development is a great source to, to, to build that. So that's the one side. That's like the, the 10, 15 year plan of that's my solvable problem. How can I generate as much cash flow as I can to be able to have no limitations on generosity and being able to uh, be involved in ministries that we want to. And then the other side of all of this is like my family is like the most important thing to me. And I don't ever want finances or money to be an obstacle or barrier for my family to experience life to its fullest, to be generous, to bless others. And money is just a tool. I'm, I'm the master of that tool. And I choose to, um, not let it be a master of me. So that's, that's like the, my solvable problem of, of why, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, because I see five, 10 years down the road, right. I don't want to be in this hustling grind mode for the next 10 years of my life and miss out on my kid's childhood. And like the biggest fear that I have of failure would be for me to be in my forties and fifties and my kids want nothing to do with me. Right. So that's, that's why it's like, I don't want any barrier to allow me to be present, engaged, and uh, intentional with my kids, with my spouse, with my family. And then also, you know, down the road, being involved in more ministry stuff. So that's my solvable problem. It's great, man. Um, 
you know, this, this concept, we just refer to it as financial certainty and it's the ability to, um, you know, no excuses, right? Again, we're, you're, you're a, you're a, a competitive person, obviously. Uh, and the problem with competitive people is that we'll find ways to compete just because, because we're competitive. Um, right. And, you know, the trade-off is like, yeah, but don't do that to the detriment of the things that matter most to you in life. Right. And so part yeah. of the way I look at financial certainty is, yeah, well, how much money do we need to be able to live the life that we want? Not like saying I'm opposed to making more money, because of course you have all these other causes and charities and things that you, you know, want to, want to participate in, in order to make a massive impact on your community and in your church and things like this. Um, and, and it takes money to do that, but I think, you know, getting clarity on, well, what do we need to live this life to not have to worry mm-hmm. about money? And, and now we have something to get closer to, because if your goal is like, I just want to make as much money as possible. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not, you can't solve that problem because how can you solve for an infinite amount? You're just going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing. Right. Um, and no, I just, I really appreciate that about you because you have so much clarity and like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is how, mm-hmm. you know, this particular business goes to serve a higher function. And I do think that, you know, one of the things I struggled with for a long time is just getting wrapped up in my identity as a, as a entrepreneur, it's a tool, right? These are all just tools that yeah. we're using. Let's not identify with the tool, um, and uh, so, so tell me a little bit about maybe some of the challenges with that as an entrepreneur, as you're building these businesses and like, you know, fighting the, the scale mentality at all costs, right? And push, 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 grow, grow, grow. How do you keep that in check to make sure that you've got balance in these other areas of your life? Yeah, you touched on the competitive aspect of it. And like, that's, that's one of the biggest struggles that I have is the, the challenge of like, I have a really competitive um, mentality and I just want to, you know, build, 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 right. Or I want to consume, consume, consume. And that has come back to bite me on many occasions where, you know, Q4 of last year bit off way more than I could chew as far as fix and flips go. And I lost a ton of money, like, you know, to the tune of almost six figures because I was being aggressive. I was being competitive. I was like, you know, we're buying more 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 more. Right. But it wasn't necessarily in line with what I really wanted for my company. Right. So the struggle is always going to be internal. It's comparison. It's, it's, it's pride, it's ego. It's all of those things that you need to rid yourself of. Uh, and it's easy to get entrapped into that when you don't have absolute clarity on what you ultimately want. Yeah. If you don't have your solvable problem clear, clearly defined or written out, you're like you said, you're just going to be chasing after every opportunity to make money. Right. But now I've got this lens that I look through that's, Hey, how does this get me closer to that end goal? Right. Is it, is me taking on a, uh, you know, mobile home park is that get me closer to my passive income goal of, uh, you know, my solvable problem. Yes. Okay, great. Town development. Does that get me closer to my income goal? Yes. Okay, great. Is me taking on a luxury flip, fix and flip going to distract me from my process right now? Probably. I should probably not do that, right? 
So having that clearly defined has definitely helped me be able to eliminate some of the distractions in business because I mean, if with my competitive attitude, I would take on all of it. So mm-hmm. I can do it. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we talk about in, we, we, you know, talk about the certainty operating system is like every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. Mm-hmm. So like you decide to do this luxury fix and flip. Well, now you have theoretically, you've eliminated an infinite number of other things you could have done with that time, yeah. money, and resource. Um, and, and oftentimes we're not taking into account other factors into the solvable problem. For example, I think it's easy for us to say a lot of us, the more and more I've worked with, you know, other real estate investors and got to know them, you know, I hear this number all the time. Maybe yours is different than this, but a lot of people are usually between $10,000 a month and $30,000 a month. Like some people are as high as 50 or a hundred or whatever. It's not really the point, but the point is, it's like a lot of us have pretty good clarity on, well, this is how much I need to live the life that I want. Yeah. But what we don't have clarity on, or maybe we're not necessarily accounting for in the equation is what I call biases. And you've referred to like comparison, pride, ego, you know, FOMO, uh, loss Mm -hmm. aversion, you know, these different things that as humans, we're not, you know, we're not the AI bots, right? Like (laughs) we are, we were given this brain and it came with some hard wiring right? That hard wiring doesn't necessarily always serve us the best in a business sense. Maybe it served us fine when we were trying to survive. It's a survival-based stuff, but it, you know, it doesn't serve us in business. And oftentimes we're not accounting for it. For example, when you say things like comparison, oh my God, that is one of the biggest biases I struggle with. I see Josh Schwartz doing all these development deals and I'm like, how do I keep up with him? right? Because <laughs> if he's got it, I want it too. And yeah. I, I think that the problem is sometimes we're building these strategies and these plans, but we're not accounting for these variables inside of it. And we don't set up rules to make sure that we don't fall into these same traps over and over and over. And everybody has those. It's yeah. different for each person. Um, but you know, how do you account for your biases in the equation? I would say when we talk about certainty on some of these issues, obviously I'm a man of faith and having a, a deep understanding of the Bible and what scripture says about some of these things is imperative because that is the foundation that I stand on. And we talk about the fruit of the spirit and the fruit of the flesh. There are two opposites, right? The fruit of the spirit. You've probably heard it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, like all of those things. And then on the other side, you've got the fruit of the flesh, which is jealousy, discord, fits of rage. It's pride, ego, all of that stuff. And that's an easy way to have a solid foundation and certainty to recognize what's going on inside me, right? Hey, is this jealousy that I have? Paul Sparks has started on his townhome development before me. Is that fruit of the flesh or is that fruit of the spirit, right? And, it, and if that, that, that is my dividing line that I know of, what, what was the term you used? The biases. Biases, yeah. If this, is, if this is a biasy that I should like just push out or if this is something that I should, that I should focus on. So that's, that's, that's ultimately what I use to gauge between the two. Man, it's funny because some people, you know, religion, I think, 
serves in a lot of ways to provide that for a lot of people. Um, and I think that's a couple things that it's like language, right? Being able to bring language to that and, and a community of people who are also using that language, right? You have, you know, the Bible is, is more of a, an operating system in a certain sense, right? It's yeah. like a way to behave. Here's how you yeah. make good decisions. Here's how you account for all of these things. Um, and it's just, this stuff's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But for some reason, when we switch domains, oftentimes, and we get into entrepreneurship, we forget this stuff, right? And then yeah. we just start doing things and our biases creep back in and our tendencies creep back in. And if you're like me, you had to like, I built a business that didn't account for all that stuff. And then I was like, crap, I've got this business now that I don't really like. I can see where I've made all these mistakes. Now we've mm -hmm. got to like cut it back and start accounting for these things in the equation. Once I, once I did that, Things just got so much easier because now you have the right tools, you have the right processes to to make better decisions in your life. Yeah, yeah. And every single major failure or setback that I've had in business can be correlated back to a real feeling that I had that was definitely a biasy or or a, a fleshly desire, right? The jealousy, the you know, the striving for monetary gain. I had, I just sold a house on, on Monday in an area where I only started building there because I had a hedge fund that said that we would buy it for X. And I said, I know I can build it for this and we're going to make a ton of money. Right. So I just scooped up as much as I could. And because I was like, we're going to make money here. It was not at all out of a desire to provide value to the neighborhood or to uh, be a blessing to the community. It was just, we're gonna come in, we're gonna buy, we're gonna build, we're gonna sell, that's it, right? And even though it's a brand new house, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of money because the market shifted, the hedge fund stopped buying. Like I was so reliant on that one thing, that greed that I had, that it blinded me from making a really good decision. Same thing, you know, going back to, you know, Q4 of last year, buying all these houses. Hey, you know, this is gonna be great. I can go to my collective genius event and say, oh, hey, I've got, you know, 30 projects going on. Like we're doing all this fun stuff. My Instagram is going to look sweet. Like I've got all these, <laughs> all these things going on. And I lost, I lost a ton of money on these flips because the market shifted and I was in it for more than what I was expecting to. So that there's always going to be some sort of root of your biasy or fleshly desire that's going to lead to a poor decision. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just as guilty of it as anybody, and I'm constantly making poor decisions, right? But at least there's something that I can go back and I can recognize that it's my fault ultimately, right? I can blame it on others, or I can blame it on the market, or blame it on whoever. But at the end of the day, going back, like I was the one who was had some greed, right? I was the one who was making the poor decision. I was the one who didn't run the numbers and worst case scenario type stuff, you know. So, yeah, it's all on me. Yeah, man. Um, that's that extreme ownership thing. And I, I just remember your last in January, you gave a presentation at Collective Genius. Um, and I always, you know, anytime I hear somebody speak, I write a six word update for what I heard, because I don't take back, you know, you know how it is, like, there's so many people speaking and so much information, like, I don't, I don't take all that away. I just take the six words. Right. And I think my six words for you, as I was kind of looking back was, is like, um, his version of the solvable problem, 
right? You presented <laughs> this like, you know, spreadsheet of where you had, I, I forget the specifics of it, but you had mapped out everything that you wanted and built a roadmap to kind of get there. You'd worked with a coach to do that for you. Yeah. Um, that's where I was like, ah, this guy, this guy gets it. Like Josh really gets it. Um, and you know, accounting for all these things, like the way we do it is we obviously we build this roadmap and we say, well, this is where I am. This is where I want to get to maybe in terms mm -hmm. of finances. Here's all the things that I'm not willing to trade, I'm not willing to trade time with my wife and kids in this area. Uh, maybe I am willing to sacrifice this. I'm not willing to do this, writing your rules down, establishing it. Oh, by the way, Paul, Here's all the things that you struggle with. FOMO, comparison. Anytime you make right. a decision, let's run it through these filters. Are you being influenced by this? Is this just because mm -hmm. you want to compete with the other people who are doing more deals than you or insert whatever it is? And so, you know, I think what I learned from you and what I'm learning from this whole certainty stuff is write it down, get, get clarity on it, but then write it down and build yourself an actual, um, you know, roadmap so that as you're going through and you're barreling through your life and you're making decisions, you're not missing the fact that you're accounting for these other, you know, variables in the equation. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about some strategies and some tactics that you're using right now and dive into a little bit more about your, your barbell. I think, you know, we talk a lot about that framework because I think it's easy for people to understand if this is your first time listening to this show, we, we use a barbell to just, you know, to describe how we approach the strategies in our business. And if, you know, Josh is obviously very familiar with the barbell, you look at a barbell and what do you notice? You load weight on either one side or the other. You're not loading weight in the middle. We think of weight in the middle as highly risky. So on one side, we have reliability means like there's not a ton of upside but it's, it's highly reliable, very reliable, predictable, consistent businesses. Um, then on the other side, we want to take what we call asymmetric bets to the upside, meaning that the upside is huge, but the downside is very small. And what we want to get rid of are the things in the middle, where if this goes well, maybe we make a bunch of money. But the downside is we lose a ton of money and we backtrack years or stress or the, the risk yeah. is that if this doesn't go well, it's going to impact my life and my family tremendously. We want to get mm -hmm. that stuff out of the middle and either get it to the reliable side or shift it to the up, you know, the upside side of the barbell. Um, so with that being said, tell me a little bit more about how you think about your business and your own personal barbell. Yeah. So over the last couple of years, we've, I, I, this is just for me, I've really refined and uh, uh, been able to refine exactly what we're looking for from a uh, steady income stream to passive income and all that stuff. And what it looks like is I, I'm not a huge fan of these huge remodels. And so we focus primarily on wholesaling and wholesale, buying properties, clean them out, list them and, uh, rentals. Even, even these old rentals, I just bought a ton of old mill homes that are just constantly falling apart. Again, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's worked up until now, but my whole strategy has shifted into we're primarily building and we're primarily keeping uh, most of the builds that we build as rentals, right? So the consistency side of it is we, we, we wholesale, we wholesale, we build and we buy rentals. But on the other side, the more like larger upside, higher risk stuff is 
you know, we've got townhome developments that we're doing. Ultimately, we want to buy, uh, build them and keep them. And if it wasn't for the consistency of the, you know, 40, 50, 60 deals that we're doing a year, we don't have the capital to be able to take on projects like that. So the consistency stuff allows us to say, okay, here, mobile home park. All right, let's jump into that. All right, townhome development. Boom, let's do that. We have a portfolio of houses that we're going to build and keep, you know, dump money into that. So that's the the um, the higher, the upside ones are the ones that I'm able to make big leaps towards my solvable problem. They're the ones that I'm able to take huge steps, right? Because the one, two single family homes at a time, that's a really long, arduous process of accumulating these deals that you can either or you know put down payments on and so what are the things that we can do now to generate capital to be able to, to roll that into these larger upside deals and that's that's where my barbell is resting right now mm-hmm. what's your opinion on how relationships play into this barbell um, in terms of is it an upside play or is it a reliability play 100 percent uh Upside reliable. I, I mean, I can't like, I can't clearly put relationships in either one because like, just to give you an example, I have one lender that I started working with early last year that completely revolutionized my business. The certainty that I have that funds are available is, has changed my level of confidence to take down deals. It's changed, it's changed everything. Right. So that's, that's certainty, right. On the other side, upside, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of relationships I need for the upside side, but I'm looking for them. Well, I know you're doing a bunch of stuff on social media and kind of working on your your personal brand. To me, there is not a, I don't know of a better asymmetric bet to the upside than building a personal brand. Why? There's no reliability in it. Meaning like, as I'm meeting new people, you know, there, it's not like that's a reliable source yet. It's not yeah. reliable. It's an upside play, which means like the upside to the relationships you make are theoretically infinite. What's the downside? You spend an hour on a podcast with somebody, you make a couple videos, like you get to know somebody and make a friend. That's mm-hmm. in my opinion, you, you, your time is the only downside to that strategy. Yeah with an, a theoretically unlimited amount of upside. And then over time, you build these relationships with people and that upside play starts to shift to the reliable side. You, you build that trust in that relationship and now it becomes a reliable source of capital, relationship capital for you. Yeah. And, and that's how I think about relationships because I've, again, you and I are very similar. We built, I built my entire business off of relationships. Um, but the personal branding, it's my opinion that if you're a business owner and you're looking to create more upside, one of the easiest things you can do is just start building a personal brand because the upside is theoretical. I mean, it's infinite. The downside yeah. is you're a little uncomfortable and it takes a little time to get that traction. Um, but then you can shift that over to reliable. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the risk that I took earlier this year, hiring somebody for doing in-house media. and. Mm-hmm. There's just way too many cool things that we do, way too many fun, exciting, crazy things like the world needs to know. And it's one of those things that's really hard to measure the upside. Yes. You know, if I 
spend X amount on a marketing campaign, I can measure the results from that. Other than the fact that I, you know, I'm out in public and people come up to me and they say, Hey, you know, how's this project going on? You don't realize the extent of that upside, like what that's going to do for you. And whether it be building relationships, uh, word of mouth, things like that. The biggest thing is credibility. I mean, I um, just know that there's going to be massive upside to taking this, the, the risk of doing that. Um, worst case scenario, the downside is, is I spent a ton of money to do it. And, you know, 30 years from now, my kids will be able to look back on all the goofy things that their dad was doing. Um, but but yeah, there's tremendous upside to it of, of uh, branding and credibility that is it's it's worth it to go down that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And, and I want to back up just a little bit to the conversation we had earlier about how to how to make the transition from flipping into developments. Um, so let's say you're a decent flipper and, you know, you are flipping, I don't know, to qualify for CG, you're probably flipping 30, 40, 50, 60 deals a year, maybe. And you're doing that fairly well. And you're trying to make the transition into developments. Well, again, we don't, we don't, we want to get things out of the middle, right? So until it's reliable, you shouldn't be adding additional upside things. I think that's the challenge is- we try to take on too many things at one point, and then all of it ends up in the middle, um, right? And now we've got this barbell that like could easily top over, topple over, like, um, and and it's my opinion as we sort of talked about this takes time, like it takes years to build these relationships, and if you're going after a big upside play, like building all sorts of townhomes and yada yada yada, like building big stuff. The question isn't, does it have a lot of upside? I think a lot of entrepreneurs make this mistake as they're chasing upside. The question mm-hmm. really is, how do I remove the downside? Our my mentor Dan says this to me all the time. If you're making, if you're making bets and you can eliminate the downside, all you're left with is upside. But what we do is we say, well, how can I make more? How do I get more upside? The way to get yeah. more upside is to eliminate downside. And, and yeah. it just circles back. It's a full circle back to relationships. That's how you do it. You're willing to let somebody else eat first. You're willing to um, make less of an upside in order to reduce the downside. Yeah. For the person who's wanting to transition from that going into development, again, it, it really depends on relationships. I mean, I'm sure that you know just because you're a really good flipper does not mean that you're going to be a good developer, right? There are there's a whole side of that industry that you need to have a good understanding of. And if you're a really good flipper, like what's stopping you from just becoming better at that, right? I I wouldn't consider myself a really good flipper. Like I can't stand the details, but the one relationship that I do have is with a really good GC who can alleviate the headache of me managing those projects, right? So the 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 um, the failure point for me was, you know, managing projects, picking out materials, all of that stuff, right? And I don't have the attention span for that. So the person who wants to make that transition is probably you have to really define what your solvable problem is. Does this get me closer to that? Does me taking on another side of this industry make sense when I've got something that's working really well for me now? 
Now, if you've got an opportunity and it's easy to dovetail in the relationship of, you know, GC or new builder that, that, that makes sense for you, then pursue it by all means, but don't do that until you have your whole system over here dialed in pretty good. So um, they're just, they're, even though they're in the same industry, they are two different animals. And I'm sure you're experiencing that with, with some of the builds that you're doing. Um, you can't, you can't treat them the same. That's true. Yeah. And you can't treat them the same. <clears throat> they're, they're definitely not the same. And so if you're going to make that move, you know, it's like, well, make sure you have some reliability in your life first yeah. and then take, take micro steps, meaning, uh, the downside of, of, a, of a development deal going terribly wrong could be massive, right? Much bigger yeah. than a flip. So instead of looking at, well, how do we create more upside? If you just look at how do we reduce the downside here and look at this as a longer term play, two years, five years, 10 years, yeah. that's my opinion is that's the best way to approach that. Um, as opposed to just, you know, let's burn the boats and go all in on development. <laughs> like, well, the, the problem with doing that is now you don't have a boat. Like what yeah. happens if it goes and wrong? And it's a, it's a different animal because your cash conversion cycle is significantly longer than doing a fix and flip. You may be doing 30, 40, 50 deals a year as a fix and flipper and your money is turned over three or four times a year. And if you take that same amount of capital, you're going to put that into a build and it's going to be tied up for nine months to a year. And you're going to be expecting to be able to make the same returns in as you would doing flips when your money's tied up for a significantly longer period of time. So like, those are all things that you need to gauge. You may be looking and say, Hey, you know, we can make 60, 70, 80, hundred thousand dollars on a new build. Like, okay, but you can do fix and flips and you can turn that money over faster, which you probably can make a higher return on that same amount of money, right? So if you just burn the ships, say, hey, we're going to go all into new development and your money's tied up for a year, like, do you have the, the bread and butter income to, to sustain that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, well, burn the boat sells, right? That sells yeah. and it plays That's on fun. people's like, let's just go all in, let's do this. And then, oh, by the way, I got a product I can sell you. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the problem with that. So that's just, I'm not a huge fan of that personally. I do think there's a right time to go all in, but not when you're trying to figure out something at the very beginning, take micro steps, yeah. get data, make better decisions. Then when you have, you know, what we call a preponderance of data, which basically just means you've got enough data points to show that this is viable and this works. Well, okay. Now you can go all in, but let's not do it to the detriment of our if this doesn't go right, if this doesn't go the way we want it, we blow our whole life up. Is that really a risk you're willing to take? Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what we did starting in 2019, building one house and suffering through that seven or eight months that it took to build and then sell like, okay, proof of concept, this works. Now let's find a lot where we can do this two or three times at once. And then it's just slowly growing it's just, and building that over time to where now it's, okay, we know this works. We know what our numbers are. And it's just a matter of copy and paste and, you know, however many times we can. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of uh, finish with, I like to, I like to finish with leaving the audience with your greatest lesson learned. Now I say this as like, that's a pretty like big, you know, statement there. It could be something you've learned recently. It could be, you know, a lesson you've learned in business throughout your entire career, but what would you like to leave the listeners with in terms of your greatest lesson learned in, in the real estate business? Yeah. 
Um, I am competitive. So this stems from that. But uh, this is also a part of my life motto, which is safety third. And uh, it's the ability to take calculated risks and step outside of your comfort zone. And there's been many times over the last couple of years where I've had that nervous pit in my stomach. And whether that be, you know, buying my first investment property and being in there like about to tear down walls and being like, holy cow, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is, this is big, right? Or whether it be asking my wife to marry me or, you know, taking these steps into doing these larger development deals. Every single leap that I've had in my business has been the result of, you know, a bunch of smaller steps taken that were small risks, right? You know, you may look back and see like, oh, doing all this stuff, but I've got, you know, five years of these small calculated risks, like time and time again. So life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And so my whole life motto has been safety third. So fun first, fun second, safety third. And it's not, to, it's not to say disregard safety, not disregard making calculated risk because it's still on the list. It's, it makes the third place one, but it's, you know, make sure that the fun is in the first and second position. That's so good, man. Um, taking, we just call them micro steps, right? You know, you have to take risk. You have to engage, right? You have to engage if you want to move forward. And I love that, that you said that it's right at the edge of your comfort zone. Um, and you know, I think that's just really wise advice. If you, if you want to move forward, a couple of takeaways I had today was, you know, one relationship is all it takes. This business is about relationships. Welcome to the party, everyone that doesn't know that, right? If you want to, if you want to move up in business, it's all about relationships, find ways to add value, find ways to, um, you know, build trust and it takes time and then bias action. Right. But we want to, we want to take action in small micro steps so that we can get feedback before we go all in because it is about how do we how do we get closer to what we want as we say with the least amount of risk least amount of effort most amount of options we want to take the least risk as possible we knowing right. that we have to take some level of risk as we move forward so really well said man um Josh, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you're up to, you know, investing in your deals, you know, buying deals from you in Charlotte? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Easiest way is to go on Instagram. You can follow me at Josh Swart and my website's on the, on there and you can follow along some of the deals that we're doing. And uh, yeah, we'd like to have fun and enjoy life, enjoy business. It's not supposed to be a, uh, a struggle and a grind. So yeah, follow me on there. Hit me up. Let's talk real estate. Yeah, we'll have all that stuff in the show notes so you guys can just click down below and, and get in touch with Josh. But I highly encourage you to follow him on social media. He's he's putting out some good content, talking about the developments and his process and cute pictures of his kids and all this sort of stuff. So um, give him a follow, check him out. Thanks so much for joining me today, Josh. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks, dude. Had fun. Yeah, and for everybody else, um, we encourage you to use the investor frame. So knowing what you know now and the conversation that Josh and I just had, what changes do you need to make to your life, to your business, so that you can get closer to the things that, that you want in life without chasing more and more and more? Again, thank you, Josh, for joining me. It was, a, it was a pleasure, a great show today. And everybody else, we'll see you guys on the next episode.